Hello and welcome back to the Kate Languages podcast. How are you? I am not going to go on about it too much, but um, my answer to that question is not the best I've ever been. Um, just absolutely full of cold and dealing with a poorly toddler for the past week or so, which is why this episode is actually being released a bit later than usual. I'm still hoping to get it out. I'm actually recording this on Monday the 17th of October and I'm literally just going to get it all done, edited, uploaded um, straight away. So it should still come out on the day as opposed to just not nice and early in the morning like it normally does. And last week I didn't manage to release an episode Again, just, I don't know, just life's getting very, very busy and uh, sometimes just don't have time to do these things, sadly. But I do have a really, really good episode for you this week that I'm really, really excited to share with you. I spoke to the very lovely Janina Climus. So right at the beginning of the episode, I'm kind of almost like giggling a little bit at the beginning because the way I read her name, in my, my German brain clicks in. And I kept wanting to call her Janina, and she and she said it's fine. It's like Janina, Janina, but um, actually she she should be called Janina. And I'm a big believer in calling people by their name and pronouncing it properly. Yeah. So I st- so I started recording. I said hi, Janina, and I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe we just done that. So then we were kind of laughing, and then I then I did actually say Janina, and then I did manage to call it Janina properly throughout the whole thing. So if you're wondering why there's a bit of sort of I sound like I'm giggling at the beginning, that's why because. I think I was already not feeling very well by the time we recorded this last week and listening back I was like yeah my voice doesn't sound great so yeah anyway it's these winter colds starting to catch up with us with my son being at nursery picking up all the germs and stuff as well so anyway um yeah so it's a really really interesting conversation anyway about reading and as I said right at the beginning I mean I love reading anyway um I didn't mention this in the episode actually but a few years ago I set up an MFL book club on Facebook and there is still a Facebook group I'm not actually running it anymore because I just do not have the time to do it but a really lovely woman called Elaine is running it and she will pick um, a French then a German then a Spanish book so she'll pick a book and pick a time for everybody to discuss it, usually about two or three months between the different between the chats, so people have got plenty of time to read the books. And she will then facilitate conversation about the book within the Facebook groups. So it's a virtual book club. You know, you don't join a Zoom call or anything like that, but it's a virtual book club and we yeah and I honestly like I say I haven't actually joined it for a long time but I can see that people are still joining and there's some really really great discussions generated each time uh, the next one's going to be a German one um, but if you just search for virtual MFL book club on Facebook and if you want to join the group and become part of the book club then yeah that'd be really lovely each of the books as well, if, so if you don't speak either French, German or Spanish or, you know, all three or whatever, we try to make sure that every single book is also available in English so that you can read an English translation and still talk about it within the group. So, yeah, so if you're interested in that, check that one out. So, yeah, as I say, I absolutely love reading and it was really interesting to talk about reading to learn 
as much as reading as, you know, just one of these tasks that we kind of have to do within the language lesson, that we're really, really using input from reading. And we talk quite a lot about listening as well. That giving input from different types of texts is so good and how you can really get to grips with quite big, chunky, meaty texts as well. It's not necessarily just short little texts that you might find in a textbook. And we talk a bit about authentic materials. And I've got lots and lots of links that I'm going to put in the show notes for you to have a look. I've got a blog post about using authentic resources and quite a lot of the things that she talked about, like Stephen Krashen, for example, hyperpolyglots, all this. I've got all the links for you. So you can have a look in the show notes and have a read haha have have a read and a look about uh of, of what we talked about so yeah i hope you're going to enjoy this conversation as much as i did before i let you listen to that conversation i just wanted to go through a few of these a few things that i've got coming up at the moment i feel like i'm super super busy and got loads and loads of things in the pipeline which is really really exciting so on the 26th of october i'm going to be doing some cpd with julie who has done a podcast episode with me called Backwards Planning with Julie and that is what our CPD is going to be about. So if you've listened to that one and you want to know more about it, she's going to walk us through what she calls her backwards planning method. So how she plans half a term's worth or six weeks worth of lessons in about 20 to 30 minutes. And we do talk about this a bit in the podcast episode. And like I say, in the CPD, we're going to go through it in a lot more detail and she's going to walk us through exactly exactly how she does it with her um, spreadsheet and, and all that kind of thing. So I can't wait for this because I think it's absolutely brilliant. And she just has such good ideas and she's very, very logical and methodical and very well organised. And I think anybody could learn a lot from this CPD. So it's not just for new teachers. It's ideal for experienced teachers as well, heads of department, if you're looking actually as well at how to write your schemes of work and how to really condense your planning for your schemes of work, for example, I think this could be really, really useful for you as well. Then in November, I'm going to be running a CPD course about writing resources. So this is something that people have asked me for and I get quite a lot of emails and messages from people asking for my advice on how to write resources, how to upload them, etc. So even if you're not thinking of writing resources to sell them, or even to share them online with people. Writing resources, writing worksheets is an integral part of being a teacher. And I mean, people tell me I'm quite good at it. The BBC seemed to think I was quite good at creating, <laughs> you know, texts and resources and uh, doing all that kind of thing. So, and the thousands of people who buy my resources seem to think that I'm doing an okay job. Uh, so, yeah, so I just thought, right, I'm going to try and really break this down and look at my own method and again I will be walking you through my method of how I write resources starting with the answers which is how I always do it and kind of taking it from there I'll show you the websites that I use for uh, pictures especially the ones that make sure that you're not infringing any copyright rules and things like that which can be a bit of a minefield and yeah, to go through how I actually do it, how I make them look kind of okay, but not really fancy. Like, I don't do fancy resources. If you've bought any of my resources, you'll see that they're just very clean. They're very clear. They have nice pictures in them, but I don't go for fancy fonts or 
fancy <laughs> formatting or anything like that. So I'll walk you through how I do all that. And then we can also look at how to upload them onto, for example, TES resources and yeah, how, how we do that and a bit of you know, how to promote them and things, if that's what people are interested in. So I'm really, really looking forward to doing that as well. Then also on the 3rd of December, I'm really ramping up with CPD. I get so excited about doing this. So the 3rd of December, which is also a Saturday, I'm going to, going to be doing a free CPD. So the other two, Backwards Planning and Writing Resources, they only cost £20 each for a two-hour workshop. I don't think that's hugely expensive, hopefully. Hopefully people agree that that's a good value for money. On the 3rd of December, I'm going to be doing a cpd a free like i say free cpd session and this is going to be a show and tell so if you've not done a show and tell cpd session before it's where a few people get together and present their ideas and this one's going to be about games and language learning so i'm still looking for a few more people to present to join us to tell us about their favorite games in language learning it can be literally just one game what's your favorite game tell us about it, present it to the group. I'm going to have to really, really limit numbers for that because as it's free, I imagine lots of people want, people want to join and I think my capacity on Zoom is limited. So I'm going to have to find out what the limit is and really limit that. So as soon as that goes up online for people to register, if you're interested, then do crack on and, and, and get registered for that because like I say, I am going to have to really limit that. So yeah, so that's a few bits of CPD that I've got coming up. And then in the new year, I'm hoping to run my lesson planning CPD again. I'm hoping to do a collaboration with Claire, who is um, at Leo Languages. He's absolutely brilliant. And with Erica as well, who is Spanish and Umbrellas. So I've got a few, a few exciting things in the pipeline, which I can't wait to share with you. And if you want to also join me for some CPD please do get in touch and if you would like to be on the podcast as well please do get in touch I'm at Kate Languages on Instagram Facebook and Twitter or you can email me through the website katelanguages.co.uk and the last thing I really really need people to do and I really really want some help with is my Halloween episode so I'm going to do a Halloween episode on teaching horror stories I'm kind of hoping these will be funny so as I've said on a previous episode I do actually want these to be funny um probably more than actual teaching horror stories although like a bit shocking and a bit like hmm, I don't know whether to laugh at this or not could be a good one as well it doesn't have to be related to language teaching and learning you don't have to be a languages teacher to contribute to this just if you've been to school and you have a horror story from when you were at school then please also get in touch and tell me all about that as well uh, so yeah, so this is going to be the last episode of this season. This is the sixth episode. This is going to be the last one. I'm going to do a bonus episode for Halloween, which will be in two weeks time. And then we're going to take a bit of a break for a little while. And then season four will be starting maybe around Christmas. Maybe I might even wait till the new year. We'll, we'll see how we get on and how busy I am. So yeah, as I say, get in touch if you would like to be on the podcast if you would like to contribute your teaching horror story to the podcast if you would like to do to co-host some cpd with me anything like that and also let me know how you're getting on and also i haven't mentioned this for quite a long time if you'd like to give me some money because you really enjoy listening to my podcast and want to support me in my with all my free stuff that i'm giving out all the time uh feel free to buy me a coffee you need to go to buymeacoffee.com forward slash kate languages and 
I think it's about three pounds and every single one is extremely appreciated. You've no idea. So thank you for listening and thank you for all your lovely feedback that I get from people from the podcast. And I hope you enjoy this conversation with Janina. Hi, Janina. How are you? Good. How are you, Kate? Thanks for having me. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, not too bad. It's very sunny. There's lots of sun coming in here, which is very nice. That is nice. Sunny autumnal morning. So yeah, I'm so excited to talk to you about reading. Okay. I mean, it's basically my favorite hobby anyway. So and reading, reading and foreign languages are like my two things all, all brought together. So yeah, I can't wait to talk to you about that. But before we get started talking about reading, can you just tell everyone a bit about yourself, a bit of your background? Um, yeah. Yes, certainly. Um, So I am from the United States, as you can hear. Um, I started studying languages at a fairly young age and studied two languages all throughout high school, um, which is sort of, you know, the equivalent of like your GCSE and then and then sixth form. I have my bachelor degrees. I double majored in foreign languages and theater arts for my undergraduate degree. And then I did a Master of Arts in the Teaching of Languages in Madrid, Spain. I've been teaching languages for a very long time. You know, it was a great way to get all of my sort of love of stories and acting into a real profession that, you know, I I basically didn't want to keep looking for work, working at restaurants as an actress. So, Uh and I wanted to be able to travel, which has served me really well. So I I have, um, I taught at a university in, in Seoul, Korea, and then I, I joined an organization that has schools internationally and, and uh, taught in Japan and the Tokyo area. And now I'm in Cambridge, England, and now I do a lot of writing as well and uh, speaking and all about teaching and learning languages. So yeah, and I have had a look at some of your YouTube videos and podcasts as well. So do you want to just tell people quickly where they can find those? Yeah, just under my name, Janina Klimas. And I can I can send you a link. I'll put a link in the show notes to those as well. So brilliant. Yeah, and they're well worth watching. Really, really good. Okay, so yeah, let's get talking about reading. All right. Yeah. So first of all, I think we wanted to talk a little bit about the benefits of reading. So what um, yeah, I mean, as I say, I love reading, so I can see yeah. the bits of reading. Um, but in terms of helping you to learn a foreign language, what's right. the research behind it and what are the benefits of reading? So I, I, I want to start with just what you said about how you love reading. I mean, I think, you know, at the heart of the stu- human experience is stories, right? Sharing our stories, sharing what's happened to us. And that's how we we learn and we can connect with others. And, you know, I'm not alone. Other people have been through the, the, the same thing. Um, and when you can read, you can learn anything, right? At that basic skill, you can read, you can learn anything. And um, when children, when we're young in, in sort of, you know, the UK school systems and certainly the United States and many countries around the world, you know, we, we focus on learning how to read, yeah. right? And then we can read to learn. And when you can read to learn, you can learn anything. And at, at, at its most basic level, learning how to read is, learning what the words we say look like, yeah. right? Those are visual representations of our spoken language. Mm-hmm. And then once we have enough to be able to read independently, then we can use those skills and learn and read anything and learn anything and use reading for pleasure, for enjoyment. Again, I want to learn something. 
I mean, in this day and age, I can Google it and I can read about it, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It was really interesting. Um, a few years ago, I was working on a project and I reached out to Stephen Krashen, which surely, you know, your audience, you know, he's amazing, right? The yeah. All the research that he did on second language acquisition. And, and what I particularly like about him is I think when you know something really, really well, you can explain it in a simple, concise, yeah, and easy to understand way. And I think he's done that with all of his work in, in second language acquisition. His whole focus really, if he was say to focus on anything, it would be input, right? So what we read mm-hmm. yeah. and what we hear, right? And, and we're acquiring language naturally that way, right? And reading provides all that grammar and vocabulary all in context. Mm-hmm of some interesting content, whether that's fiction or nonfiction, a fairy tale, um, something you want to learn. So um, he he does these great studies. I love his papers because he he tries to say things in as few words as he needs to, which I love. I respect. Oh, he doesn't, yeah. you know, he he'll, he publishes these ultra short papers, right? And they're brilliant because he's brilliant. But he uh, what he did one study maybe 2016, 2017, fairly recently in the past sort of five years. And it was, he studied two hyper polyglots and one of them has, is now passed. And I want to say his name. I'm going to, I'm going to mispronounce his name. He's, he was Hungarian. I feel like he was like, like a Hungarian government worker living in Budapest, you know, worked in an office all day sort of thing. And he would do all of his pleasure reading in, in different languages. And I want to say he spoke Mm -hmm. 23, languages so he he acquired you heard of him yeah no I mean I don't know I've heard these like stories of these hyperpolyglots but I mean I've heard Lome, people like speaking Lome, 10 or 11 but 23 Loam or 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 lamb and and I'm saying you know it could be it could be 22 I mean please you know I I think I I think at a certain point it doesn't even matter how many no, it's the fact I mean, that more, more than three or four I'm 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 impressed so yeah <laughs> And he um, and another person in the study was uh, someone who's, I think, quite well known online. So Steve Kaufman, I think he has a YouTube channel. I know he has a blog. I know he has a podcast and it's called The Linguist. And he is a I want to say retired diplomat, maybe from Canada. Okay. you know, so he's gone through these language programs. You know, he did it professionally and he also loved it. So he did it for pleasure. And he might speak 15 languages so somewhere in the tens, I think. Yeah. And again, my facts may be wrong as far as the number. I want to say each of them are over t- over ten. Okay, I know uh, that. I'll, I'll look him up. I'll put a link in the show notes so uh, people. Can and so he did. He did a study on them, and they what they they both focused on input and reading. And and I think sometimes that that we always say so. For example, you know, when children are learning languages or when we're acquiring languages, because there, there's a really distinct difference between yeah. learning yeah. and acquiring. Yeah. And I think that the real magic happens when when those two things are put together. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I may, that might even be a separate conversation. But when we're when we're sort of building our language skills, acquiring our language skills as we're, you know, in our family, we you just said, you know, your son is, is now yeah. interacting yeah. at 
at a school. He's acquiring language from his teachers, from what's being read to him, from what you talk about at home, from your your family, from all these experiences. At the pig. <laughs> TV that, that he's having right now. And then he's going to go to school and he's going to start learning what his language looks like, right? When yeah. you go through that yeah. whole stage of reception, you're going to be doing a lot of the phonics work yeah. at home. And he's going to be doing a lot of the you know, using, practicing his language there in, in those real life contexts in school. And, you know, we, we, we go through all of those phases. And I think that, you know, the, the order would be that we would, right, you understand. So really you hear and then you speak mm-hmm. and you read and then you write. And I think, you know, writing is the last skill that we really master in, in languages. You know, there, there's, we, we technically practice writing for a very long time before we're actually really you know, sort of writing. I mean, anybody who's gone to university or secondary school can attest, you know, staring at a white screen, that's a skill that comes pretty yeah, high yeah. level skill. Yeah, definitely. Um, but using those things, right, using literacy in sort of a, I'm not, I'm not going to say an artificial way, but kind of combining that with, with, with acquisition really speeds up that progress. And um, so I think naturally these two hyper polyglots do that where they're there, we always want to focus on, well, I really want to speak the language. So why would I sit and quietly read a book or an article? Whereas you're getting all of this input and then finding a context to have an output is this sort of ideal situation, you know, like say we read an article together and then we talk about it, right? Yeah. That's, we've got speaking, we've got, re- we got input, then we've got speaking um, we have listening, you know, maybe follow it up with writing something, you know, building those skills in that I was way. thinking as well in terms of actually knowing how to pronounce the word so you can actually yeah. speak. I'm thinking, um, and I think we'll talk about this a bit more in a bit as well, but being able to listen to something while you're reading it is almost probably like the, like the whole holy grail, isn't it? That you can yes. hear it, hear what it sounds like and you're reading it at the same time. I know when I do listening... I mean, I teach teachers and I do, you know, I do CPD and things like that. And when I talk about listening, I always say you need to work with the transcript as well. So whatever you've listened to, yep. I think it's really, really important that you read it as well. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. But but I think both ways are really important because, yeah, you need to know what things sound like, but you also need to know what they look like and to be able to read them as well. So. And a couple of things I would say to that would be, um, you know, there's so many all this technology makes input comprehensible now. So, so for example, you know, if you were to read an article online, there's tools like in in Microsoft edge, you can, you can set it to read it to you in different languages. Mm -hmm. So you can set, you know, say I have a text in French, I can, I can read along with it while it's reading to me. That's one tool. There are some sites that very much make all of their, all of their material comprehensible you know, and again, it's sort of an artificial way, but that's sort of fine for learners. So lingua.com, lingua.com, they have German, they have, um, you know, where you can listen along, they have listening activities, or or even some of those, I want to call them, I'm going to call them video text, or audio text, just like you said, putting, having the captions on. And I know that YouTube doesn't do a, a great job necessarily all the time of producing accurate captions but there's some there's some tools or companies that actually create very accurate versions accurate written versions of what they publish the audio and visual yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. And actually, I've, I know with podcasts as well that um, this is something I haven't, I don't actually do yet, but it's something that I think people need to be doing as well is, is creating transcripts of your podcasts for yeah. people um, with, yeah, who are hard of hearing or deaf or, you know, hearing difficulties that uh, to make them more accessible for people as well. So, yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, have you ever seen? The um, have you ever seen Yabla? Have you ever seen that site? They do. I've heard of, the, of it, but I've not they, actually used it myself. They do. They make all. They they br basically break down um, authentic content. They do. I want to say okay. six different languages, and they make it comprehensible. So they might take a video. So for example, one thing that that I'm really obsessed with, and I'm just gonna I'm just gonna confess, I love reality television. I love to turn off and watch uh, silly reality yeah. television. You know, it just it's a great way to you don't have to think about it do you you know it's just entertainment so I love one French one called um Le Jeu ou tout au basculé right so the day everything fell apart and it's all these sort of dramatized versions of really extraordinary things that have happened in people's lives and so it's on YouTube. The, the 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 producers publish it. They publish it on YouTube and and I'm sure that they show it on you know different French channels. I, I'm not even sure. But they they've taken they've worked with that and many other sort of reality shows, documentaries, and they get them transcribed. They obviously get the rights to do it, get them transcribed. And you can make it slow. You can make it fast. You can read the transcripts as you're doing it. You can play games to learn all the little chunks that they've that have been introduced. There's like maybe four or five different games you can play. You can actually scribe it out like a dictation almost, which yeah. to be honest with you, I mean, I'm, I'm probably too lazy to do. <laughs> yeah, but, I'm but I'm just thinking in terms, you know, from from teachers' perspectives, yeah. um, that the way that the GCSE in England is changing, well, England and Wales over the coming years, is they are going to be doing dictation. So anything that you can oh, okay. do where you're practicing doing some listening and getting the students to dictate it is just going to is going to be really, really helpful. And I actually, again, I as part of my sort of like the transition from a listening task to a reading task, um, mm -hmm. I recommend and I will quite often do dictations as well. It, maybe not the whole thing, because sometimes it can be a bit long, but just dictating the first few sentences, first paragraph, something like that, because it's such a useful tool. Yeah. Uh, a couple of thoughts on that. So even, you know, if Yabla, and that's, I'm sure there's other sites out there that do something similar, but it costs, right? So you can still, you can do that with anything, do that with news reports. There's YouTube is a treasure trove of, of places to do short little dictations, yeah. you know, a commercial that lasts 45 seconds. Weather students, forecast, something like that. Exactly. And then they can compare their answers, which is really good because that gives them a lot of, that builds community, that gives them a lot of interaction and they can check their answers because, and then they'll, they'll put together something really really great. I think another thing that that a lot of American teachers like to do, and they like to give it names, I, I've noticed, but it's probably something that a lot of people do anyway, is something called, you know, you can call it movie talk, video talk, you know, taking a short, okay. a short video and really, re this is great for novice learners. So you're really going to go through and, and really scaffold it and ask a lot of questions, stop it a lot, play it a whole bunch of times and then play it again and they've had they should have written, gotten a lot of input and written down and then they can even use it as a discussion tool 
a conversation, all that they've written down. Yeah. And I mean, you can do that with a text that, because I was thinking, you know, we're talking about reading, but we're also, we're now talking a lot about like read, uh, listening and watch, yeah. <laughs> watching videos. Yeah. Sorry, we'll go back to. I don't know, but then I just think input is input. And in the real world, you don't often, well, I don't know, you do sit and read a book for pleasure, yeah. I guess, or sit and read articles. But I think quite often you do have, it's a quite a multimedia experience these days anyway, isn't it? So. Yeah. And, and one thing, again, we like to name these things in the States is doing a lot of, we call them IPAs. So integrated performance assessments. So we, we sort of recognize that for, from actual, the American Council on the Teaching of Foreign Languages, that there's, there's three different types of, of modes of communication that are acknowledged. So we have presentational. So that's what we read and what we hear, right? With that really important piece where you get input right? Whether it's reading or listening or reading and listening at the same time. So what, while we were talking about listening, we we're actually really still talking about reading at yeah. the same time. We're still talking about accessing text, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, getting that and then having an interpersonal, which is between people, right? Yeah. So we're having a conversation and then, and then there's a presentational piece. So either writing something or, or speaking, right? Speaking. So it's all one-sided communication. And I think it's, I, I really like them because they reflect really well on, I think the real, the real experience that people have. So, so yes. one of my reading really is one of my greatest pleasures. And to be honest with you, you know, as a teacher, and, and I'm also a certified, you know, high school English teacher as well and drama. And when I'm teaching, I've taught some court, you know, those types of courses before I taught drama, I used to teach a drama course and um, I taught sort of a lower level English as well. And you spend so much time reading at school, your eyes, that's the last thing that you can do between marking and your emails and the literature you're teaching that you can do. And I looked so forward. I, I, so to, to remedy that and still get my reading in, I listen to a lot of audiobooks. Yeah. I love Audible yeah. and they're great for language learners as well. Any level. I'd love to the summertime, that feeling of, you know, my feet being up and reading an Oprah's book club yeah. sort of book, something really interesting and really engaging. And then talking about it with somebody who is equally enthusiastic and all in and, and all the 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 things we 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 found interesting in the book. To me, that's just like the ultimate. So if you think about it you know, all those different modes of communication we just talked about, you know, yeah. in, in an experience yeah. like that, um, which is actually really high level, right? So you have to, I think for, for mostly what we're teaching in schools, these experiences need to be sort of curated at a, at a much lower level. Maybe you're reading an article and, um, you know, I, I might, okay, so, so I'll, I'll give an example of what that might look like with reading, using reading to learn. Okay. Um, so when we teach, when kids are learning how to read when they're little, they, and I, I'm going to repeat myself here, but I, I just think it's important to know we, we, we learn to read and then we read to learn, right? When we can do this independently and foreign text, foreign languages just are not conducive to that. So, so when you, mm -hmm. when someone can read, when we're teaching them how to read, we try to keep it within a certain percentage. So we want them to understand at least 90% and not more than 94%. And the reason for that being that below 90%, it's going to be too hard and it's not going to be a good experience. Yeah. For them. And over 94% is going to be too 
easy, right? Understanding that. So they're not going to get any of that problem solving in that they need to keep moving forward in their skills. And at the end of the day, you stick a, a text, unless it's been, you know, artificially put together for, to make it comprehensible, which is fine in some cases. If you want that authentic language and culture and the high interest content, you don't want the to have boring content in your class when you could have high interest content that they're going to be enthusiastic about getting to, right? So, so how do you how do you make that comprehensible, right? Because they can yeah, use um, that. I think my, my question, my question about this is always if you've got a class of 30 children in front of you, yeah, how can you present a text, whether it is, you know, through listening or reading, mm -hmm. that you know is between about that 90, 94% comprehensible input for the whole class? Because, you know, just thinking about especially particularly mixed ability groups that I've had, like there will be some kids who will just understand every single word and there'll some yep. there'll be some who'll maybe understand about 20 to and you've you've taught yep. these kids the exact same yep. thing yep. maybe for a couple of years. Yeah. And I think this is something where I've never quite understood I I I, I like the idea and I and I understand, you know, and I, I fully agree that yeah, the comprehensible input needs to be around 90, 90 odd percent. But yeah, how do you do it for 30 different kids? So, so, okay. So this is what I've experienced for myself. Okay. First of all, is that that's, you know, teachers are busy. You don't have time to go around and wait a minute. Is it between yeah. 90 and 90? Is it 92? Like let's, let's just be realistic. So, so even with your strongest, you know, your, your, your most enthusiastic learners, this is still a foreign language. And they're going to understand maybe 30 or 40%. You And that's okay. It's about giving them the tools to, to be able to access that. So for example, let's just say, um, can you can you tell me a, a course and a theme that you've taught? For example, like, like GCSE French. And I, I'm not sure. So this evening, I'm doing my French GCSE advanced class. And we're doing health. And we're going to be talking about sleep in particular. Excellent. Okay, so... I mean, you know that that you don't you, you wouldn't want to spend hours searching for some article that may fit for some of your students between that 90 and 94 yeah. percent, which I'm sure there's publishers that write to aim to 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 to, yeah. to do but that. Even then you never know like what they have acquired outside yep. of what you've taught them, you know, so, you and, don't and, know and what I'm, they know, do you? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I would say something, okay, let's say that I've chosen my article about, about sleep. And let's say my article about um, sleep outlines a whole bunch of statistics about how important it is to get sleep. Or maybe with teenagers, they actually need more sleep than we thought they needed in the past. You know, a lot of them are getting far less sleep than they need, and they need to be sleeping more like let's say the research that they did that that they need to be sleeping more in line with what toddlers do, for example, right? Mm -hmm. Something really high interest things that, that keep mm -hmm. people from sleeping enough, right? Is there too, then is there too much homework? Is there too much revising that people need to do, for example, right? Let's just, let's just pretend that the content of that article in health for a French class. So what I would probably do is I would you know, obviously scaffold with chatting, lots of chatting, you know, how, you know, how, what are you get, getting really activating that theme, that topic, mm -hmm. right? And then I would give them a task. So I might present 
reading that to them or tell them, okay, so put, you know, you can quickly divide up your, your kids. Cause I think community is really important, you know, um, that they all get a chance to work together and that that's the language of your, of your classroom. Right. It, it helps to build really good relationships and getting all that interaction. So for example, let's say, you know, I'm going to make groups of three, you know, un, deux, trois, or whatever. And then they go with their groups and I say, okay, find 10 interesting facts or 10 interesting things that were presented in the article, for example, right? And so then after they've dug through and done it, then maybe I would read it to them. Or I would have, you know, like we talked about doing Microsoft Edge, where it reads the article to them. And then we're going to go in and go to those different groups and talk about those 10 interesting facts, right? And then, or, or it read it very interactively, you know, like say I read it to them and I'm constantly asking them questions throughout. And then we get to that part and throughout this process, they're going to be digging into the, wait a minute, what does this mean? What does that mean? Yeah. Oh yeah, this is how it is. And then maybe ending with, they write some kind of reaction to it. So you've gotten all those modes of communication. You've taken those black and white words on the page and then given them not only a place to acquire language naturally as we do, but that also the deliberate experience of digging into text to make it comprehensible. Another way I might do that is almost to make it sort of a game. And let's just, we'll, we'll, let's just pretend it's the same article. And I might say, okay, so you have to go and find, create 10 questions that have answers that can be found in yeah. the text. Yeah. And so, so after you've done, you know, they've had time because that, that's the big thing is to give them the time and the tools to get accessible into the text. And then the groups ask each other the questions and they have to answer. So those are just you know, a what, I, what I love when I've done that is that actually you find that they all know the answers to all of the questions because they tend to pick out the same things and they tend to like, they tend to ask the same questions um yep. but then they're they're really excited because they know they know what the answer is and they can find yeah. it quickly in the text and also what I love about that is it saves you as the teacher quite a lot of time because you don't have to come up with questions yep and that's not being lazy because actually your students are engaging with the text much more deeply than if you just ask them a bunch of true false, false questions and they're like oh I don't know I don't care I'll just guess true true false true false true do you know what I mean? Like some children do. So, yeah, yeah so I, I, re- I really, really love that. And I think, you know, another thing that I'm always trying to talk about on, on the podcast and in my CPD is saving time for teachers. Yeah. And with, with the groups, would you suggest maybe putting them in mixed ability? Absolutely. Yeah. So you're, you're kind of picking the groups quite carefully rather than like all the top ability kids doing one and then. Oh yeah, no, no, no. Mix them all together because that yeah. way, and, and I mean, you're still, I mean, I, I don't know if there's any way to get around, you know, like, like I usually have in my groups, one very enthusiastic linguist who oh. would, they do anything, right? They love it. They yeah. love it. They want to know what this means and that means, and that means. And I mean, and then you get people who don't, who are, aren't really there by choice necessarily. Right. And I think that's just reality, you know? And um, when I say carefully, I mean, yeah, you can pick groups carefully, but I think randomly at the same time is also good because they all get a chance to interact with each other. And they don't sort of think, oh, well, that's the top 
table. That's, they, you know, you're constantly mixing it up and they're all getting to interact in your target language or with your target language together. Yeah, so. yeah absolutely. And what I love about this, this as well, and I think this is something that is, it takes me back to when I was kind of a new teacher and I, I'm pretty sure that when I was observed at some point and criticized for the students talking, what doing, I set them a reading task and the person who observed me said they need to be reading in silence. And my, because so I had taught English as a foreign language, which is a lot, I, I feel is a lot more interactive and very different to them what I was then being expected to do teaching yeah. German in secondary schools. And at the time I was, you know, fairly new as a teacher and this was my head of department and I, I just kind of went, oh, right, sorry. Da, da, da. But there was definitely a gut instinct in me of like, no, they should be able to, you know, it's not a test. I'm not giving them an exam every single lesson, yeah. you know, just because you're reading doesn't mean that you can't actually spend some time discussing. I mean, maybe that they sit and they try to read it by themselves together in silence for two or three minutes or something like that, just, just so they can get their heads around it. Cause I know if, if I'm trying to read something and someone's in my ear, like, oh, let's talk about it straight away. Like that, that would probably, I'd find that quite difficult. So there could be a, a bit of a balance there, but I, I think, you know, or, or even like with the listening as well and discussing your answers and discussing your ideas together. Cause like I say, it's not to test. So one thing I would suggest, and one thing I do for sure, this is another another way to do reading in your class that surely, you know, materials are gonna have some, just like we talked about um, taking those authentic materials and making them comprehensible. Mm -hmm. You know, there's gonna be some required readings that maybe come in your text or your materials, right? That they're gonna do that are gonna already have questions or some sort of task. Yeah. Yeah. attached to it that you do. So so one of the things that I, I, I always share with my students is the power of actually reading out loud. And so how good that is for, for so many reasons. So a task like that, that sort of textbooky and, uh, you know, and you know that it's probably, it could be very interesting, but it's not going to be nearly as interesting as maybe some of the other stuff that you can find, yeah. right? Um, but they're worth doing for sure. Um, they're usually on the theme you're doing, et cetera. Yeah, so, quite often they relate to a grammar point that you want to then expand yes, on or something. So yeah, exactly. I say like never use, you know. Oh yeah, no, no, no. They they could be they can be a treasure trove. But the way yeah. that I tend to use those, the way I would use those would be, and I have to sort of explain some of this when 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 students get started. But you know, do you remember? And this is the reading teacher in me talking, you know, when, when you're learning how to read fluently. So after you have sort of learned to read, you've crossed that threshold of being able to read independently. There's still a period of time in your classes where people do read alouds. Right. And it's all about fluency and, and pronunciation and, and, you know, sort of 11 years old, you know, up to 12 years old, that sort of time or, you know, certain content area classes, kids will still read out loud. I'm sure that's that that's the case in British schools, right? Yeah, Is that, yeah. yeah. So anyway, using that, you think about what an experience that is. I, I've experienced it. And I think I was a pretty advanced reader. I was very advanced. And, and that's not 
it, that's just how it was, right? So do you quite so, enjoy the performance element of it as well? Like um, in your I, English I, class, if you had to read aloud, I did. I, I did actually, yeah. yeah. So and and I just I wasn't shy about it. With that said, though, when I the first few times I did it when I was younger, that we just did these things in sort of primary school. I do remember being much more focused, and maybe that's the performer in me, much more focused on, I wanted to make sure I was pronouncing everything correctly, that I was less focused on the content. Yeah. So, yeah. so there you have an opportunity as a, as a language teacher to put them in pairs and have them, instead of them having the mortifying experience of reading in front of everybody, yeah. they go and read the text. So I read a paragraph, Kate reads a paragraph, I read a paragraph, you yeah. read a paragraph, and then we do the questions and the task at the end, and then as a whole class come back together, we're read to, or you can even do the reading to why they follow along to begin with. And then, then they do the reading to each other mm -hmm. and explain that to them. That's all about pronunciation. I'm not going to make you do it in front of a big group, send two of them out into the hall, two of them out into the, you know, so that they can have a little bit of space to do that, to get comfortable with that practice. Yeah. Yeah. If, if you can do that, but even so, I think once everybody's talking in a class, they don't listen to each other, you know, they're not going to listen yeah. to what other people are saying, really, they're more focused on what they're saying. Um, yep. But yeah, so, but then sometimes I find like if you're reading aloud, the actual meaning isn't going in as well. Yeah, exactly. So, um, That's why you've got the switching off. So I read a paragraph, yeah. you read a paragraph, I read a paragraph, you read a paragraph. Yeah. And then essentially together, we're going back to get to get the questions, to yeah. answer the questions, right? So we are, it's, it's, that's another huge part about reading is that you, you can't approach this the way that you're reading, that you would approach reading in your native language, right? You're going to have to go read it two and three times mm -hmm. to, to really get all that benefit. You're going to have to mark up the text. You're going to have to write notes. You're going to have to ask questions. Yes, it's not just like sitting down and, I mean, at some point you can when you're pretty fluent in a language, but yeah, sitting yeah. down and reading a novel in a foreign language takes many, many years of learning, doesn't it, for sure. Right, and then that's another thing, you know, when you have um, trying to, to curate experiences for students, you know, a, a lot of teachers in the States are hugely into the the crash in FVR, the free voluntary reading, and so they so they build or they curate these libraries and you know, some of what I see available in the libraries, I mean, it's all good. I think any input you get is good, yeah. but a lot of it is written specifically for learners, which you could say, okay, that's good. But I really prefer, I have some of that, but I really prefer shorter selections or using things like um, news articles online that they can read. And then they can use all those tools to help it make it comprehensible. I like offering realia, shorter selections. I'm hugely into shorter selections because I think that, you know, my experience as a learner, it felt like we went from these little textbook sort of short selections yeah. to you. I was supposed to be able to read a novel on my own. Like what? You know, <laughs> I remember that that university just suddenly just being like, I've never, because we didn't, when I was at school, when I did my A-levels, we didn't have to read books for um yeah. novels in foreign language so yeah I'd gone from reading like pretty short articles maybe 500 words or something max yeah and then suddenly being expected to read a book at university and I was just like yeah. I have no idea how to do this yeah. yeah I did read quite a lot of the translations I have to confess <laughs> yeah I mean so sometimes you get in a pinch you're like okay well and unfortunately I think if you don't have the tools it really takes the pleasure mm. out of it you know yeah, and they don't because it's university they don't really teach you how to do it like yeah. they just kind of send you off and expect you to do it so yeah yeah 
So it's definitely useful to actually teach right from the beginning, like you're saying, teach them how to access a text and figure it out and work through it and things like that themselves. Um, and it's quite interesting as well, thinking about comprehensible in input and thinking about my son, because we've always read stories to him since he was like a tiny, tiny baby. And he now at two and a half is starting to actually really understand the stories. And he randomly just quotes bits of the Gruffalo and things like that, um, which is amazing. And but it, we, but I've realised like there's a lot of language in these stories. That is, you know, from the language teacher's perspective, is like, mm -hmm. whoa, that's really complex language yep. and it's really difficult. But he, you know, he looks at the pictures. We read it together, and he's yeah, he's gradual. Like he couldn't use most of these words in a sentence, but he's starting to actually really understand them and really enjoy the stories. And then, I mean, I don't know how you feel about this, but he he will look at pictures and sort of point at the pictures and say, "Oh, that you know, I don't know, the bear is those are huge or something. Those are huge aids. Those are huge scaffold in um in helping making reading comprehensible. Another another thing that I would suggest, would just exactly what you're talking about, is a method called SQ3R. So I've made graphic, I love graphic organizers. I love graphic organizers <laughs> for making what reading comprehensible. What does SQ3R stand for? Um, so, so I can't remember. So I think, I wanna say that it says survey, question, and then review. I think that's what it means to be honest with you. But so, but I'll just tell you how I use it. So okay. like, like what you would do, I made a little graphic organizer for it. So you survey and you do exactly what you're, you just said that your son does. So you're going to go through and you're going to kind of try to predict using any of the tools. You're going to skim, you're going to survey, you're going to look through it. You're going to, you're going to read through it really quickly. You're going to look at the graphs. You're going to look at the pictures and you're going to try to guess what that might be about. That's the first step. And then the three questions you go through and you write three questions and their answers to those questions. And there's like the second part you don't need a graphic organizer. I just happen to make one, you know. And then at the end, you, I want to say, maybe I changed the name. I'm not sure. I feel like you review or resumen, that's Spanish, that's a summary. I would, I would write like a little summary. So basically, they've predicted, which is a huge part of reading, right, is that you're going to do the prediction, what it's about. You're going to scan through it. Then you're going to dig into the text and really get it. And then then basically going back to the text, what was this about? Yeah. Would you recommend doing all of that in the target language? So doing the resume yeah. and the summary, whatever, at the end, yep. it, all in the target language as well? Absolutely, yeah. But the skimming, like, I mean, that that's that's already input they're getting in the target language. The questions might be a little bit of a struggle, but there, there's also a nice opportunity to, to review all your question words, right? Like how many that, you know, that they have, they get to make the questions, which. Yeah, I think personally, I think um, uh, the problem with British schools as well is that everyone is kind of so focused on the GCSE exam. And there yeah. are so many questions in English in the GCSE exam. And I think, again, that's going to change again and be even more like I think they're taking away the target language questions again. I don't know. They, they keep switching. And I find out quite often when I get people to write their own questions, I tend to get them to write the questions in English because it's almost then it becomes a translation exercise. Yeah. As well as a reading. And then, you know, that they've really understood um, the text. So, yeah, yeah, I think. 
both ha both have pros and cons for sure yeah but right yeah and again I mean I everything just makes you think of exams in the A-level exam there is actually um in the listening and the reading I think there are summary questions that you have to read and or listen to something and then summarize mm -hmm. it and it's such a good skill oh it's yeah so hard like really but really hard to to do that and not just basically like copy out what the text is like to to put it into your own words is yeah, it's, it's really difficult, but such an important skill. Yeah, and I would say too, I mean, you know, I don't do a whole lot of translating, uh, translation exercises. I actually kind of enjoy them, but I, I don't really do them. Mm -hmm. So what I'm proposing is certainly going to be done at a much more superficial level in the target language, but okay. it's all target yeah. language. So it's good practice. Yeah. And it's sort of similar to what you might really experience. You know, if you need to read a news article yeah. about, I don't know, a play you're going to go see or something of that nature, it's going to be more, It's you're not going to be translating every word. You're looking yeah. for the information, right? Yeah. Yeah, and that's the thing as well, is that your brain has to be able to work in the target language yeah. without having to translate every single word every time. Yeah. 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 Oh, I could talk about, about this for ages. I mean, like I say, reading is just one of my absolute pleasures. And, um, you know, as I was saying, it, it's definitely something that I'm thinking about a lot more with my son and yeah, reading with him and thinking about, you know, his his own language acquisition um and that he's yeah he, he's starting to like recognize that letters are a thing I mean I'm not you know he's two and a half I'm not teaching him how to read just yet that would be I don't know it seems a bit early but um but yeah he, he's noticing that certain shapes are letters he doesn't know what the letters are but he will yeah. point at them and start singing the alphabet and it's like it's, it's like he knows you know he'll he'll look at um the car you know the, the letters on the back of the car and he points at them and he starts just going a b c d and things like that and I just think like wow it's amazing to watch this emerging in him with without a huge amount of input from us I have to say I mean we you know I tell him what the letters are and he's like I don't care I just want to sing the alphabet <laughs> um but yeah it's just it's so fascinating and I I do wonder whether reading is something that people do and obviously we do it in lessons but that it's not something that is focused on as much as it could be yeah maybe in the rush to kind of get all the vocab and all the grammar and all that kind of thing um sort of like telling them what it is rather yeah. than getting them to actually look through a text Period. and work on a text you know in a lot of depth I mean a, a good long meaty text could take like two or three lessons even couldn't yeah. it you know if you and again for me, that's a bit of a time-saving device because you're not having to find five different texts for one lesson. And again, this is something I talk about when I do um, lesson planning CPD. I say, find something that you can do as a listening, you can do it as a, you know, as a dictation, you can do it as a, then you can look at the transcript as a reading and then you can do questions on that as a reading and then you can do it as a translation and you can, and, and then use it to scaffold some writing or speaking as we were talking about. Um, and you've got one text instead of trying to find four different texts. Yeah, yeah. Skills. This is something, yeah, something that I'm really quite. Um, I don't know. I was going to say evangelical about. I'm not. I'm not. Not quite. Not quite on that level. But yeah, I think it's it's so important. Yeah. Yeah, and I was just thinking as well. Some of my. So I, I think I've got. I've, I've written a blog post as well with some websites. Um, for authentic tests so one of my favorites in French is Angel Vue Nectu I use it all the time this is what I'm using this evening as well which is 
aimed at children, but in authentic French. So the language is authentic language, but it's not really, really complex. So, and it's a bit more interesting, you know, if you're looking at a website like Le Monde or something, yeah. Like, you know, I find that boring. A 16-year-old or a 14-year-old is not gonna want not gonna want to read articles from from websites like that. So don't they have um I want to say TV Monde does a bunch of great learning materials. And don't they have mm. uh, isn't there a site called um Francais Facile? And it's got all yeah. you know that one? Yeah. And you know what's really interesting? I actually recommend it. There's a journal en Francais Facile, which is the news and it's international news so it's quite accessible and yeah it's quite I mean it's slow if, if you're if you if you speak fluent French it sounds slow uh, if you don't speak French it probably sounds really fast and I actually recommended that to my beginners class recently to say look you're not going to understand it but for your pronunciation and to understand the the melody and the intonation of French um, it's just really useful to hear things and to yeah. like, be exposed to authentic language as much as you can yeah um but yeah i'll put a link to that to my blog post as well actually with all the yeah i've, I've got french german and spanish ones Do you know i've never found a spanish version so there is a german one that's similar to andrew will be next to you which is logo which is on zdf uh-huh. i've never found anything which is like the same in spanish and people keep sending me links and it is and I'm like it's never none of them are quite the same as these as the French and German ones do you um I want to say they have it in French and in Dutch and in Spanish do you do, do you use at all vertal.com I think Ver- that might be on my yeah there might be a link to that and in this blog post and what well. I like about that yeah. they're all authentic so it might be like a documentary that's broken up you mm. know that's into sort of 10 different little lessons and they've got the transcript so you yeah. can read and you can interact yeah. and they've got questions it's great yeah I think that sounds familiar it was a while ago that I did this but um yeah I'll, I'll put a link in the show notes like I say and people can have a look at all the different links there because there's some yeah some really really good ones there so yeah as I said I could talk to you about this forever but I will yeah let you crack on with your morning and uh yeah thank you so much Janina for talking us through all that um, so once again where can people find all your fascinating content um well thank you um I am on I'm on YouTube I'm Janina Klimas I have a blog called reallifelanguage.com slash language blog and I'm also oh. on Instagram so I'm Janina at real life language so I will put links to all of those uh, in the show notes as well. Great, thank you. And yeah, can get in touch. And as always, yeah, hopefully let me know what they think of the episode. Like I say, I could, I could carry on talking about this for hours, but uh, <laughs> I will let you go. So thank you so much. Thanks, Kate. It was nice, hey, to, nice to meet you. Nice chatting with you. Thanks. Bye. Bye. So yeah, there we go. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. As I say, it was just so great to talk about reading and reading to learn and how to use text in the foreign language classroom. And as I said at the end, I could have talked to her for hours. So yeah, I'd love to hear what you thought as well. As always, you can get in touch on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter. I'm at Kate Languages on all three, or you can email me through the website katelanguages.co.uk. 
I have got links to everything that we talked about. I'm hoping I haven't missed anything out in the show notes. And yeah, so you can just have a, have a look through those um, if you kind of missed what we were talking about. And I've got links to how you can watch Janina's YouTube videos, which I'd highly recommend. They're really, really interesting and how you can connect with her on social media as well. So I talked for absolutely ages at the beginning, so I'm not going to do a massive long outro now. I'm just going to say if you're on half term, I hope you're enjoying your half term. Uh, if not, you'll make it through this week and then you'll be on half term next week, hopefully. And they're lucky people who've got two weeks half term, you lucky, lucky things. I hope you're making the most of that. And yeah, please let me know your teaching horror stories for the Halloween episode. And I will be back in a couple of weeks with that. So until then, I'll feed us in. Au revoir. Adios. Bye.